Welcome to The Lens with me, Ollie Barrett. My guests today are Duncan Tate and Nana Parry. Duncan is on the main board of Fujitsu and he leads its business in Europe, the Middle East, India, Africa and the Americas. Nana is a serial entrepreneur and his latest company is called Metier Digital, which is a launch studio which helps you turn your idea into a digital business. And I should say, several years ago, Nana worked for Fujitsu and that's where he met Duncan. We'll be talking about how two people across very different generations can learn a lot from each other, and I'll find out what they learn from each other. We'll be hearing what one of the world's leading IT companies, Fujitsu, can tell us about the future of healthcare, AI and automation. And we'll be hearing the secret to making money and making a difference at the same time. Let's get to the conversation. Welcome to The Lens with me, Ollie Barrett. My first guest today is Duncan Tate. He sits on the main board of Fujitsu and he leads its business in Europe, the Middle East, India, Africa and the Americas. Welcome, Duncan. Thank you very much, Ollie. It's a pleasure to be here. I've got so many questions for you today, Duncan, but I am going to turn the clock back as I do with all of our guests uh-huh. and I'm going to ask you about your very first job. So where did we find you? So my you very first job does not appear on the CV. My parents bought a small news agency in North Wales... And that was my first job, helping my parents in their newsagent shop. It was a brilliant experience. I got to find out everything about running a business, from serving customers through to the supply chain, counting up at the end of every day. And you were actually working it. So this is not a paper round, this is in the shop itself? Oh, I did the paper round as well. I used to set the paper rounds up for the paper boys and girls in the morning. So I learned about business from doing that. But most importantly, Ollie. I learned about a thing called computing in that newsagent shop. Computing? And was that on the tills or something? What were you up to? So my parents, uh, specifically my father, had this crazy idea of... He'd heard about these computer things where very early 80s and said, Duncan, we're going to computerise the business. That's your job. And how old are you at this point? Oh, it's about 14, maybe 15 or something. But interestingly, because fast forward, your first, I guess we could say, proper job, no offence, uh, to your, to your uh, first shopkeeping yes. endeavours, was yeah. a BAE system. So what happened? Something obviously sparked a light on the technical Well, if you, side. if you think about uh, growing up in a newsagent shop, so I've been on the intersection of business and IT or digital or whatever you want to call it. I've been on the intersection of those two things since I was about 14. And... I think it certainly helped me get my first role with uh, with BAE Systems when I was a computer apprentice. Yeah. And, you know, that's my life ever since. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because now, I mean, you're obviously leading a business, but just give us a sense of the scope of Fujitsu's work because it's a global business and involved in so many facets, often hidden facets, of our daily lives. Just give us a sense of it. So we are, clearly we're a Japanese technology and services company. Our mission, by the way, the reason why we exist, is we want to contribute towards the creation of a digital or network society, uh, one which therefore is more prosperous and safer for everybody right around the world. So that's the mission of the company, uh, and we're building a connected services business accordingly. Um, And we touch about 180 countries around the world. We employ 160,000 people. And uh, as we happen to be doing this in the UK... You know, we probably touch 99% of the UK population every day from when they're born, right throughout their lives, you'll find Fujitsu in the ecosystem somewhere. And there when they're born, let's zoom into that, I think you're talking about hospitals? Well, primarily I'm talking about, so when your birth is registered, that will be done on, Fuj- on Fujitsu systems in the yeah. Department of Work and Pensions. 
Ah, but we'll come on to this because it's our second guest birthday today. So I hear. We are still yes. watching him. Good. Yes. Well, more of Nana in a second. But let's zoom completely outside the UK. Just paint a picture of a piece of work that is uh, keeping you busy right now, uh, far from here. So, you know, we're investing very heavily in four pieces of technology. So artificial intelligence, the Internet of Things, cloud, and of course, cybersecurity, which is crucial for to help people thrive in a digital world. Uh, some of the things I'm really excited about what we're doing, um, if I take uh, our work in healthcare, where we're using artificial intelligence to improve people's lives in Spain, this is primarily around uh, mental well-being. So we're working with the San Carlos Hospital in Madrid. They're doing research with us into drug addiction, alcohol abuse, suicide risk. So our AI systems have, are able to diagnose people just as well as the cl clinicians, in fact, better. But what it does is it frees brilliant people up from the San Carlos Hospital to really help people rather than work on the diagnosis. And it seemed to me, reading about that case study was the ability to join the dots between different parts of a person's background and health. Yes, to that's highlight a beautiful what might thing be about wrong. AI. Right. But, but also, I'll tell you what the really beautiful thing is, you get brilliant people from Fujitsu working with brilliant people from, in this case, the San Carlos Hospital, and together we're adding value to society, and at the same time, because I'm a business person, yes, of course, we're adding value to Fujitsu. So is there a particular aspect of your work that is, would you say, particularly close to your heart? Um... Uh, well, actually, running the whole thing is kind of particularly close to my heart, but one of the things that's been with me a long time is how do you build being responsible into your business model? In other words, how by making the right decisions for all of your stakeholders, including the society we're in, how does building those into the front end of your business model help deliver growth and profitability? In other words, it's not a bit on the side, it's not oh, supplementary. Heavens, no, you can't think about responsible business in that way. This is about responsible businesses build being responsible into their P&L, into the way they make money, not as an outcome of making money. So we don't pay a cheque at the end of the day to make ourselves feel better, pay a cheque to charities or whatever. Yeah. It's the way we run our business. It's quite and interesting, actually, looking at, looking at the way you have supported charities, causes, is often not sometimes with a cheque, but it's often with other forms of support. So just give us a sense of how that comes to life. So, uh, so we are clearly a people business. It is important that we have engaged and enabled people inside our business. And therefore, how would you engage people in the mission of Fujitsu? Well, actually, the people that join us want to do good in society, which I am delighted with, by the way. And so if you look at the work we do with some charities, like, for instance, um, we're currently working with Macmillan. Our employees voted to work with Macmillan. And then, yes, we raise money for them. But then our people get involved in improving their digital processes. So our legacy with each of the charities we've worked with, whether it happens to be, you know, shelter or action for children, we leave them a legacy, which is our core skills of help them propel their, let's call them a business or their charity forwards. It's really clear. I mean, on that point about people joining the company, I mean, you joined the company in 2009. You say young people want to make a difference. Has that always been the case? Or is there any change that you've noticed of people joining? Any, any different questions are asked? I suspect it has changed. I mean, 
you know, I'm an optimist for, for, and I believe that people want to turn up, uh, want to do good in the world, want to turn up to work to do a good job. But I suspect the generation that we're attracting into the company now, yes, they want to understand the money, they want to understand they're going to do really good work, and they want to know they're working for a company that has really good values. And that, that's appearing more now. You know, at the end of an interview, you might yeah. say, any questions for us? And you'll get these in, these these questions. And you've really seen that as a change? Yes. OK, I'm going to put you question. on the spot. Why do you think that has changed? Yeah, I don't quite know why the, the, that is. I just think the generation of people that are growing up now are much more conscious about the impact upon business on society, the impact of business on the environment. I think they really get it. And they want to know they're working for a company who is... I'll go back to what I said before, building responsibility into their business model and have a broader reason for being than just making money. It, it kind of comes to people of my generation, I think, later in life when you realise it's not just about, you know, getting on in the world. I, th- I, think, I think the generation coming into the workforce now get the whole picture much better than we did when I, when I started work. I say we, I think I'm a, several decades ahead of you, Ollie. I, can't, I don't know about that. But I've got quite a personal question. You're now sitting on the main board. Um, you can tell us your secret now. Was that always something, or to what extent was that something you had aspired to? Um, so I'm not sure I particularly wanted to set out in my life to be on the main board of Fujitsu. I have ended up here, clearly. Um, my whole life has been about what's the next thing I've got to do? I want to do my very best at it. And then once I've done my very best at that, then, you know, what's next? And that's kind of how I've run things. And in your current role, the most challenging part of your job today? most challenging thing is to make sure that in our drive to help our customers thrive in a digital world... How do we attract and develop and retain the right type of talent? Because, of course, as the world digitalizes, we're all after the same people. And in terms of what you're looking for, I've read your thinking on this, around this thought that we must learn to learn. And what struck me about what you've said on this is that it's not just about those STEM subjects that we hear so much about. It's a lot more than that, isn't it? So, in particular, what are you drawn to when you're looking for talent? Well, so, so the work we, we've done takes us out to 2030. So um, although the world is changing so dramatically, you have to take a longer-term perspective on things. So in 2030, how do things look? We looked at all the world's megatrends like uh, ageing population, dramatic rise in AI, the death of distance, you know, all the major trends. We ranked them by probability and impact. And then what does those impacts mean? And actually, there's some really bad scenarios we could draw, by the way. There's some really, really frightening scenarios. Yeah. And you're not afraid to go into them in that no, no, we should be really, right. we should be very frank and open about them. You know, AI could throw a whole bunch of people out of work in developed economies and won't do, and if we're not careful, will not help developing economies. But I have said before, I'm an optimist about technology and I'm an optimist about responsible businesses. And we can, I think, if we work together across governments, educators and businesses, we can create a different future, Mm. one where we create high-value jobs. So the question is, what do you need to do now? And this comes down to your skills point. It's not just about science, technology, engineering and mathematics, which I think people would normally say, in a digital world, you need STEM subjects. Actually, we need creative people. Um, We need people who haven't done the degrees in mathematics. You know, it might be history or medieval studies who can rethink creatively. And then, of course, we need people who can deal with people. 
Because although the world is becoming very digital, clearly, people are so important and you need to be able to deal with people. Now, I want to introduce our second guest today. Uh, our second guest is Nana Parry. He is an entrepreneur. He's the founder of DubZoo, which helps musicians, artists, DJs and producers to market themselves better on the move. And there's more. He also founded Metier Digital, which is a launch studio helping you turn your idea into a digital business. Nana, welcome. Hi. Now, before I get into your story, you have crossed paths with Mr. Duncan Tate before because... I have it on good authority. You spent a happy four years at Fujitsu, am I right? Yes, that's right. I graduated um, from Manchester Business School, did a degree in international management, and my first graduate job was, yeah, at Fujitsu. So tell us your side of the story then. How did you cross paths with Duncan? Was he the person sort of through the glass wall in the boardroom, or was it a bit more personal than that? Well, it was one of the, the first programme that I did. Um, it was in Edinburgh. It was um, one of Fujitsu's biggest virtual client service transformations. I was uh, the only graduate member on the team, and due to uh, the timing of the project, Duncan was, was up in Edinburgh, and he met the team. And it was there where he said, you know, if you need anything, ask me. And I said, all right, I'll have 15 minutes in your diary, please. And uh, he taught me lots about strategy. Um, and even though I came from a very, um, I guess, a, a place where I didn't really know anything that much about business, it was something that I was really interested in. And yeah, Duncan gracefully gave me his time. And from then, I just started to learn more and more about business. And what enabled you? Because some people would say, look, I've had my 15 minutes, uh, you know, with the boss at the time. And that is that. What enabled you to keep in touch, keep that conversation going? Because it did continue. Yeah, it continued for a while. I mean, I think the thing that enabled me was that I had a passion for, for learning. Um, I think it was really important for me to learn from someone who had come from, you know, kind of risen up the ranks to CEO of, you know, one of the biggest IT firms in the world. And I guess maybe even selfishly being able to learn from someone like that um, to potentially fast track um, my career in terms of learning, but also help some of the other graduates around me, basically, because they'd ask me questions like, so what was it like to meet Duncan? What did he say to you, etc.? And any of the learnings that I felt other people could have in the company, then if they asked me, I'd, I'd share that knowledge. Let's get a bit more into your story uh, in a moment. I have to uh, ask the obvious question, though, Duncan. When someone like Nana comes and says, Duncan, I am leaving the company and I'm going to start out on my own. Mm -hmm. Mixed emotions? How did you feel? Of course not. I was delighted. <laughs> uh, just to get half a week back in my diary. We got to a point where people were, would spend a year with me. So we'd... Um, so Nana applied for that, beat all everyone else to do it, and we spent a year together. I see. And um, what did you call that relationship? Was that sort of shadowing? Uh, you can call support? it shadowing, you can call it assistant, you can call it whatever you like, okay. but I think it, wor it worked really well for me. I, I hope it worked for you, <laughs> Nana. Well, for a while, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but then, you know, he, he went, then went back into the business, and uh, I knew there was something suspicious when he said, can I buy you, you know, a cup of tea? <laughs> He's never bought anything. Mm. This is suspicious. Okay, well, and then it he wasn't... said he was leaving, and you know, frankly, I'd rather he stayed. But you know, I have to say, whether brilliant people stay with the company or disappear, as Nana has done, you know, he's a. It, I hope there is part of Fujitsu in what he's doing now. He's doing. He, he's fantastic. His businesses are worth millions. Um, 
and we still we still meet every few every few months. Right, and I know it wasn't all bad because you appear as one of his advisors, and I've seen I've seen that uh, continues. So so let's dig into this a bit, Nana. Give us an example of something that you've launched through the studio. Just bring it to life for us. Okay, so um, one of our clients um, is from the Middle East, and they have a clear problem when it comes to um, procurement. So when they try to get specific services done, whether it's building a house out there or whether it's, um, you know, trying to source something from somewhere else, they have a a problem in reliability. And what we've done is we've created um, what we call a minimum viable product. So the minimum product that they needed to test whether this concept would work. And that concept was raising an RFP, a request Mm -hmm. for proposal, Mm -hmm. um, to buyers and sellers on both sides of the market. And then once the buyers and sellers have chosen um, who they want to go with, it would create um, a generic contract that they can alter. But it allows them to track through the process and only reliable sellers go through a compliance check to make sure that they um, have registered for the appropriate um, appropriate accreditations. Interesting. And, yeah. So this isn't a product or a service. This is actually a way of doing something, almost yes, like a business design, really. Exactly, yeah. The, the process exists today. It's inefficient and oh, we're so. using technology to make it more efficient and make it more accessible to, to different people and businesses. Excellent. When people come to you, when people come to Metier Digital, why do you think you stand out at the moment? Because I know it's mm. you know, very tough competitive market Yes, out there. yeah, agencies are, are, are very tough. But I think the main reason is, well, well, there's two reasons. First reason is that I have started a, a digital business before. So when people speak to me, they know that I understand that it's not just about building a product. It's about the things around that. How do you build a team? How do you make sure you're using the right types of technologies? So it's it's beyond just building a product. Um, and I think secondly, it's that um, I I believe that helping people and enabling people, all the things that I do is around really helping and enabling people. Mm-hmm. So I think they see that in, in Metier and what we do. And what we do is we try and make sure that they um, deliver their products in as, as quickly as possible. Mm. So... Well, on that, I've seen a claim, um, and Duncan, I don't know whether you could aspire to this timeline, but it says from idea to prototype in as little as four weeks. What do you make of that, Duncan? Well, I think this is the beautiful of a, the beautiful thing of living in a digital world. The ability to deliver value for customers is just so much quicker if you engage with the right companies. It'd be interesting to think about actually what, how you reflect on the benefit of working within the large and the small. Ultimately, you have to work together. Right, but Nana, are there certain things that you miss about working within a much larger organisation? I mean, the resources, for one thing. Yes, I think, well, number one, the thing that I miss the most is just the organisation and processes that are in place that fail safe and stop um, balls being dropped, basically. Fujitsu, from my experience there, are one of the best companies in terms of being able to... um, go through a process and make sure that everyone knows what they're doing and what they're supposed to be doing, um, and it's really clear. Obviously, in, in my world, we have much smaller teams. We have, um, you know, sometimes less experienced people, and um, we have to learn from the failure. But Fujitsu have been, you know, doing this doing this for years, and they're able to kind of put those processes in place. So, so Okay, that's so give us the unvarnished... Reality, obviously, starting one's own business, something <laughs> yeah. a lot of people aspire to. So, yeah. so give us the, give us the uh, negative side. What's the toughest thing about being your own boss? I think the toughest thing is 
people look to you for leadership and as anyone would know if you're starting your own business or having your own business it's not always going to be going great so I think one of the hardest things is making sure that you continue to um, communicate with people motivate people and understand that you have a plan if things aren't going so well I would say that's the hardest part people look to you to succeed and they want and as you know I believe, especially with Generation Y and Z, they want to be part of something. They want to feel that they're part of something. So communicating that um, and being open with them, but also helping them um, be part of the journey, I think is the, is the hardest thing. Right. It's a strange feeling, I guess, Duncan, when the buck stops with you. Mm-hmm. Who do you turn to in those moments when you need that sounding board advice direction? Because so many people come to you, right? Yeah, yeah, no, of course, you look, you, you need... If you're going to do these jobs, because you know people have called them lonely, I've never found them lonely particularly, uh, because you need people around you. You can bounce ideas off when things aren't going well. You know, you can go talk to them about stuff and be very open. Um, in fact, Nan and I meet every few months. He, he shares his bad things. I share my bad things, and you know these kind of help. I have other people that I I, I do that with. You know, talk to uh, Sally when I get home about. These things, so it is important. But fundamentally, and I'll say this to anybody, Nana and I have had this conversation before. Is I do this because it's a choice. No one holds a gun to my head and says you must turn up and do this every day. It is a choice I make, and I am delighted in the choice. And if it ever gets to the point where I can't cope or whatever, I can just resign. Right, but I see that. I see that. But I see that attitude of your own sense of agency across quite a lot of what you're doing. You know, you're saying, you know, we're not in the passenger seat of our own destiny when it comes to tech we can choose i think choice is such an important word in life actually um it is again yeah, there's this kind of three words i that i hang around with and one of them is choice everything we do is a choice mm. what are the other two then come on uh we have to deliver outcomes um so i have to deliver outcomes for customers through all of our fujitsu teams we yep. promise things to customers and we deliver on that and we make promises to our shareholders we make promises to society. We make promises to our people. So, um, so delivering outcomes to those is extremely important. And we have to be optimistic. We have a duty to be optimistic about the difference that we can make to the world as, as individuals, as people, as companies. You know, and 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 optimistic people I've heard live longer. Yes. But as I said, I am optimistic about technology and responsible business and the impact we can have on the world. So what I thought we could do is just draw these different threads together because uh, a recent piece of research has identified a $2 trillion opportunity for digital when we're looking at the global goals. Uh-huh. So the global goals, our listeners will be familiar with, these are set out uh, through the UN, almost, I guess, a strategy plan for the planet. There are 17 of them, all the way from no poverty uh, right through to life on land, climate action, and so on. So... First of all, the very thought of that, a huge business opportunity through solving the world's biggest problems. Start off at 10. Nana, what do you make of that just as a thought? I mean, I think with technology being able to be an enabler for people. So when I bring it back to Metier Digital, our business, we're able to use technology to help people actually start their own businesses. And I think it's quite clear that when it comes to um, helping Uh, countries grow in terms of their GDP. Entrepreneurship is a great way to do that. It provides revenue, it provides jobs. And I think that's, you know, why I I agree that it should be on that list, because 
I think if you can enable people not just to believe it, but to actually go and do it, it just means a better society for, for everyone. And so in that sense, and here I guess we're thinking of uh, goal number eight, uh, decent work and economic growth. For you, is the important thing that they have employment, that they are creating jobs, or is there an additional sense that what they do as a business should also be solving social problems as well? Uh, it's definitely both. I mean, one uh, one client we worked with is helping elderly people who sometimes get scammed on the phones in terms of giving uh, giving cash. So the fact that, A, it can be something meaningful, but it can also create jobs and livelihoods for people, and it can um, actually have a meaningful impact in people, not just the people who are experiencing the scamming, but the families of those that don't want something like that to happen. Yeah. Again, I think it's amazing. Yeah, Duncan, it strikes me you are utterly unafraid of combining these thoughts of making money and making a difference. Oh, completely. It seems entirely normal. And yeah, I, I'll tell you why it's so important, which is when business leaders get it, that you build responsibility into the business model, it is therefore sustainable. It won't just be some hero CEOs decided to make a single issue the thing they really want It uh, that gives them visibility and fame and fortune and all those things. When you build it into your business model, it is sustainable beyond the next CEO and the next CEO and the next CEO. I guess the opposite is a bit like a bauble that could be chucked out. Yeah, next, yeah, year, next right? idea, next idea. Yeah, so, so when it's you, really important. So when you answer that question in in that in that way, to what extent do you think everyone gets it these days? It's almost not worth asking the question, or you know, uh, how, I think we have you, to join the dots. Um, I spend a lot of my time trying to join the dots for our people around around these topics. So on the one hand, being committed to diversity and inclusion. This is a nice-to-do thing because I'm a lovely, fluffy animal, or this is a hard-nosed business thing. Well, I can argue it both ways. So on the one hand, as a business person, we need brilliant people who can do great things for our customers. And that means we have to look at the whole skills base in the world, not just white, middle-aged men. Yep. It means we have to look, regardless of your skin colour, regardless of your religion, regardless of whether you have a disability or not, regardless of your sexu sexual orientation. We want brilliant people in our, inside our company who can be themselves and serve customers. Mm. On the other hand, by the way, you know, I have four daughters. It's really important from a diversity perspective that we get more and more women into brilliant jobs. So I can argue all of these things both ways. Why would we power all of our data centres with renewable energies, in, with the renewable energy in Europe? Well, on the one hand, it's a really nice thing to do. We're helping save the planet. On the other hand, it helps us win business. Mm. It's all the same thing. And where it doesn't yet make financial sense, are you still prepared to make those tough decisions in favour of making the world a better place? Well, you have to make investments for the long term. So if you look at what we've been doing in the areas of healthcare or agriculture, so, you know, we've been working in using IoT, you know, the Internet of Things and artificial intelligence in agriculture now for nearly a decade. Um, we've done it because we started in Japan, people moving into cities, just that knowledge about how do you farm disappears. So we've codified the knowledge. It happens to be in the cloud. We use sensors in the fields, and now we can produce more, better quality food with a lower impact on the environment. Yeah. Bringing you both back together, I hope uh, to find out if you've got a question uh, for each other, something you've been waiting to ask each other. Nana, what have you always wanted to ask Duncan? Here is your 
chance. <laughs> um, Not that one. <laughs> yeah. I think the key the key question for me is what keeps driving you to succeed every time? Uh, I'm surprised you didn't say because you haven't so far. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, one day. <laughs> yeah, I'm still finally looking for the answer. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I think some of it is well, a lot of it is. Um, my, you know, my 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 parents and I saw my parents working so hard in that newsagent shop every day. Um, you know, thinking about different ways to merchandise the shop. You know, we used to have a stock room next to the main shop. Then my dad knocked the shop, shop the stock room down because that gave us more selling space. So just waking up every day and have these ideas about how we could improve things. And I suspect, Nana, I just like to try and make things better. Because you've had some phenomenal roles. You ran Fujitsu in the UK and Ireland. You could yeah. stop stop there. Yeah, you could do. Yeah, yeah. We'd look at you, we, I suspect. Just, you know, you can always do a little bit better, can't you? Just carry on going. At, at some point, it'll go horribly wrong and I'll stop. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I'm going to For the moment, I'm going to carry on. Okay, okay KBO, keep buggering <laughs> on. Right. Uh, uh, what's, what's something you've wanted to ask Nana? So the thing about Nana is he could have stayed in Fujitsu and he could have had a super, super, super career, I tell you. Um, he went back into one of our biggest accounts. He was doing some great stuff. He was... You know, took responsibility for about 20 million of our business, which, you know, if you think at a relatively young age, that's a lot of money to be responsible for. Yeah, this was for. in your 20s, yeah. Yeah, mid-20s. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so what was it that made you take the risk? Because you gave away a huge forward I- income stream and then you ended up sleeping on your, on your mate's settee. <laughs> this is true, yeah, this is true. What was, the, what was the trigger point that made that happen? So the trigger point for me was after the account you were talking about doing doing that and after I guess joining that account being 25 years old having a team of 120 people six direct reports having to take what I'd learned from the role we had with you and actually put that into practice having no idea how I was going to do it at the start mm-hmm. 15 months later you know actually helping improve the business for Fujitsu as well as um, the team there, um, having lots of difficulties, but then thinking, if I can get through this, I can probably do anything. So then it was, then I started to think, right, maybe now is the time for me to try this myself. And I think that was it. It was just, I think that was a, it was a baptism of fire for sure, but being able to learn, get the belief in myself mm. and carry that on, um, yeah, was the reason that I, I did that. I knew we should have put you in a smaller job. <laughs> <laughs> it was a bit like those game shows. Here's what you could have won. But, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, so, so here's the thing. This goes right to the centre of why we're um, doing the lens, I think. Um, wouldn't it be great if um, business people all over the world um, were thinking, how do we combine, combine you know, growing our businesses and making a difference? So how can we get more people of all ages? What are some practical things that we could be doing um, to draw more people, I guess, into that conversation. Where would you Where would you start? It's big questions, but Duncan, where can we start, right? Um, I'll do two things if it would be okay. Um, so one, uh, let's start with BITC. Mm-hmm. This is business in the community. This yep. is business in the community. So, of course, it's a UK-based business charity. But, you know, what they've done for us is they gave us a framework that we could learn from in our responsible business journey. So how do we build being responsible into... How do we build being responsible into our business model the whole kit was there what a fantastic journey that's been 
And by doing that, we got our employee engagement scores up, by the way, about 12 points by living the dream, according to BITC. So I, I think, um, you know, I would never be ashamed on my side of saying to all companies, get involved in BITC. It's just a super, super way of understanding how to be responsible. Be great. It's great for society. It's great for the businesses. Uh, the second thing is, of course, hey, look, I work in a technology company. And I think technology can really help with some of these things. So a little bit like today, we're doing our podcast today. Any chance that we can use digital commu communications to get our message far and wide to people, let's, let's use as much of it as we can. Yeah, agreed. And please do use the hashtag, the lens RB. But I agree if we can bring more people into this conversation. Nana, on a practical note, what would you do? Um, I think that more companies like Fujitsu need to be working as much as possible with companies like um, startups or uh, companies that are on the kind of leading, leading edge of technology. As I, as I said before about being able to go to prototype in four weeks, there's a reason we can do that um, and there's a reason other larger companies cannot. But there are a lot of other things larger companies can do that smaller companies like us can't do. So I think it's talking more, engaging more and learning from each other and actually putting whether it's meetings or events in place that allow us to really openly share learnings from both both worlds. Have those conversations. Right. Nana, Duncan, thank you very much indeed. We've just got uh, a final thing, um, which is I've got some very quick-fire questions uh, for you. This is a new uh, thing on the lens. It may not be back next time, depending <laughs> on your answers. No, uh, so, so fingers on buzzers, but uh, we're going to rattle through them really quickly. I'll do a question, and then I'll ask both of you uh, for the answer. All right, so here we go. And these are going to challenge you, I warn you. Are you ready, Nana? I'm ready. Right, are you ready, Duncan? Not as ready as Nana, <laughs> so go to him first. Okay, I will do. Okay, all right. Okay, Nana, what is something you wish you'd learned to do at school? File my taxes. <laughs> taxes. Joking no, aside, it's a very important. Aside. Taxes not a fall to work. Right. Okay, that is top of your head. There you go. I think it's very important. Right. Duncan, something you wish you learned. Oh, I should have learned to play a musical instrument, I suspect. Oh, I'm seeing this now. What would you have picked? Oh, that would have had to have been the guitar, an electric guitar. Oh, what do you make of that, Nana? I can't see it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear, the delusion. Right, OK, now I can see it. I've got to say that. But it's, uh, right, this is supposed to be a quiz. It's supposed to be a yeah, quick go on, fire go, round. Go, go. Right, OK, eyes down. Right. Um, right, Duncan, someone, they have to be alive, that you would absolutely love to meet face-to-face. -face. Um, the Queen. The Queen, Her Majesty herself. So Duncan Tate's got a good ring to it to meet. Right, Nana, how about you? It would be Barack Obama. Yeah, why? Um, he... As someone who is um, African-American, who had to lead a country in very difficult times, I think there are a few people that have dealt with pressure like he has. So being able to understand how he did that would be awesome. Yeah, completely agree. Right, back to you, Nana. A book that you would highly recommend. Doesn't have to be a business book. Could be a book that's had an impact on your life. Uh, feel the fear and do it anyway. Oh, great. Very interesting. No, I've not read it, but good? Yeah, extremely good. Yeah, Love it. Very good. Right, Duncan, a book. Uh, a book I really enjoyed reading a few months ago, Why Countries Fail, Why Nations Fail. Fantastic. Mm. Very interesting. We'll try and put it out as a link uh, through the lens, but thank you for that. OK, uh, Duncan, staying with you, a word of advice to your former self. OK, advice would be learn something, execute, gain experience, move on. Excellent. Nana, a word of advice. Um, you're going to come across failure 
but it's all about how you overcome it. Brilliant. Love it. Thank you for being so open, honest and reflective. That's hugely appreciated. To both of my guests, Nana Perry and Duncan Tate, thank you very much. Thank you very thank much. Thank you. That was The Lens, hosted by me, Holly Barrett. If you like what you heard, leave us a review and subscribe in iTunes and you'll get the latest episodes as soon as they drop. The Lens is a business in the community programme supported by Fujitsu. Today's show is produced and directed by Chris Cartwright with production management by Charlie Gibb. Music and editing by Adam Smythe. Our executive producer is Sergio Lopez. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.